We are The Table, and we are so glad that you have taken time out of your week to join us. Here at The Table, it is our hope to move you forward in life and faith over the course of this message. At The Table, we do things just a bit differently. We pose questions in real time, and we want to give you some time to wrestle with those questions as well. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope that this message moves you forward. more than 10 just think about that for a second holy is the Lord sometimes it's like we may not say certain things or we might not know the words to pray sometimes you might just be feeling so down you can't really muster up the words But if you can find enough strength to say this two-syllable word, holy, just say that, holy, just say that, holy, just say that, holy, holy, yes, yes, hallelujah. you are holy you are holy Hosanna in the highest glory to your name holy is the lamb holy father we thank you for your son Jesus Christ We thank you for your holy son that saved a wretch like me, that took on all of my wrongs, took on all of my sin, took on my attitudes, took on addiction, took on depression took on anger and frustration, doubt, fear. You gave us your holy son to bear it all. So that we could take opportunities like this to just lift up your name. God, we worship you on today. We glorify you. You didn't have to do it. You didn't have to. 
what you did. The Savior of the world, our holy Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask right now that you are here, present with us, right in the midst as we sing praises unto you, your spirit falls down from the heavens. That there's a special anointing in this very room. We pray, God, that you open our minds and our hearts to receive what you have for each one of us today. Draw us nearer in our spirit. Begin to free our mind and focus it and renew our thoughts. Because you are holy, Jesus, you can do that. We have our minds stayed and focused on you. You will clear our palate so that we can hear from you, so that we can feel your touch and hear your word. Bless us now in this time of learning. Bless us now in this time of worship. Bless us now in this time of gathering. Bless those who are on their way. that you may be glorified on this day. Oh, that a fresh wind will blow in the lives of your sons and daughters. Have your way. In Jesus' miraculous and mighty name, let all God's people say amen. Amen. Say it like you mean it. Amen. amen. That's what I'm talking about. Go ahead and have a seat. God bless you. It is so good to see you all today. How is everybody? A little bit cold? Were you caught off guard by the snow a little bit this morning? I was. <laughs> I definitely was. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I am excited. You're like, what's new? <laughs> I am excited to see familiar faces. I see a few New faces out there, God bless you. If this is your first time being with us here at the table, I want to acknowledge, hey man, I know stepping into a place for the first time is a big step. It's hard enough to kind of come into an unfamiliar place, and that isn't always the easiest. If you've been here a couple times, but it was cold and hard to get out of bed this morning, if the clock played a trick on you, it wasn't easy. To get here this morning, but somebody said, I made it. I made it. Now point at me and say, now teach me something. <laughs> now <Nah>, I just let <laughs> Amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. Today, we are starting a new series as we prepare to go into Easter Sunday. The new series is called Broken. Ooh. Broken. I like that. It has a ring to it. Broken. We're going to be talking about what it is that was broken that Jesus was reconciled. Because I think we immediately when we get into Easter and we start to talk about Easter, we start to see all over the place pastel colors and little eggs bunnies and fake grass and all those things. I, I, I don't know how we got there. 
I'll study that one day and try to figure out what in the world, how did we get there? I don't know. But clearly Easter has nothing to do with those things. Y'all know that? Okay. All right, just checking. But the thing that I want to share with you over these next couple of weeks is that it was necessary for Jesus to be crucified. It was necessary. It was, it was destined for him to be crucified. It was part of the plan. If you remember weeks ago, we, I, we talked about how all of us are part of the plan. Jesus being crucified helps us in our part of the plan. We have to understand that Jesus was, he's, he's the thing that reconciles, fixes, draws us close and back in relationship with God. There's a point in time where we were like this with God. How long did that last? Any Bible readers? Not very long. In Genesis 3, you heard of Adam, heard of Eve. This thing, well, let me help you in case you didn't or at least you just foggy because it's an hour earlier or later or when? Whatever time it is, you know what I'm trying to say. But we needed Jesus to help reconcile us back to fix what was broken. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to get into what was broken and what was the great risk, why it was necessary for Jesus to be crucified. So if you would, today we're going to do something a little bit different. Stand with me as we read Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33. And we don't have to read it together, but I just want to just have you stand up. And just make sure you're following along on the screen. I want you to make sure you catch each of these words and jot it down, Mark chapter 8, because I want to make sure that you read it. So follow along with me, Mark chapter 8, verse number 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with the disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around, looked at the, his disciples, and then he reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God. You may be seated. This is one of those texts, because it's a conversation, that I like. I like to, um, I like to paraphrase because I need you to understand what kind of interaction this is. You got to really catch what's happening here, and you gotta, you gotta understand um, what has all happened leading up to this point. 
Now, you know that the disciples have been with Jesus. They've been following Jesus around. They've been seeing him perform miracle after miracle. He's been doing great things. He traveled with them, and he turned a couple of loaves of bread into enough to feed more than 5,000, a couple of fish to feed more than 5,000. Many people forget this, that then they traveled somewhere else, and he did it again. He took more bread and more fish and fed another 4,000 people, had plenty left over. Even after that, he healed another blind person. They watched him do all these miracles right there next to Jesus, right there with him. And yet and still, when he is sharing information with them, they are doubting his word. How many of you have experienced the miraculous nature of Christ, but still find space to doubt? We see it over and over and over in our lives. God is so real. Jesus is so real. He's changing things. We're seeing evidence of them everywhere. And then life hits us and somehow, some way, our doubt settles back in. Our fear settles right back in. Well, can I extend you some grace this morning? Because none of us walked with Jesus. But the ones who did and saw it firsthand still had doubt. They were still human. So there are some things that we have to understand about who God is and who his son Jesus is and, and give ourselves a little bit of wiggle room. I'm not saying make excuses for ourselves, but I am saying understand if those who walked, talked, touched, hugged, high-fived, shook hands, fist bumps, whatever they was doing back in the day, but yet still because of them being human and having limitations, could find it in their heart, find it in their flesh to doubt. I don't want us to miss that. Because sometimes we guilt trip about the way that we act when we get scared of things. And then we play this mind game with ourselves. We shouldn't be scared. We, we shouldn't be doubtful. I know better. And this and that. And then we, we come, become like this recluse and we won't do anything. And we're like this hermit dealing with our own guilt about we know that we should be stronger and our faith should be stronger. But they were with him and still had fears. So what does Jesus do about that? Jesus tells them, he says, well, friends, I'm here, I'm with you, but I'm, I'm going to die. They're going to hurt me. They're going to kill me. But don't worry, I'll be back. Three days, that's it. I'll be gone for three days. I'll be back. And this is how fearful Peter was. And we have to understand Peter's role in this. And when, when all the disciples were together, Peter was kind of like the voice of the crew. So a lot of times, Peter would talk on behalf 
of everybody else. So could you imagine this? I, those of you who have siblings or cousins, I remember when I was growing up, I used to go through this when I would spend time with my cousins and it was time to go home. Nobody wanted to go home. And then we would have a powwow in a room somewhere about who was going to ask to go spend the night somewhere. <laughs> and then it was like, you guys get together and everybody figure it out. And then y'all walk as a crew and y'all go together. And you know, <laughs> before you got there, your mother or your father said, don't even ask. You're not spending the night. Just, and then you would go and you would all be together. And then the group would be there and everybody's standing there. And then it's like somebody like, go. So I would imagine in this moment, because of what Jesus is trying to teach them, and Peter being the voice of the crew, Jesus is talking about this death stuff, and he's going to be gone for three days. The other tw the 12 are like, what? And then who's going to have to do it? They're like, let go, ask him. <laughs> so Peter, on behalf of the 12, in what had to be his fear, and I'll tell you why it's his fear in a moment. Scripture tells us that he reprimands Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to die, but I'll be back. And, and Peter getting the nudges, I imagine, from the other 11, he said, Jesus, you hush your mouth. There's no biblical evidence that he said hush your mouth. I'm paraphrasing. I told you that when I started this. <laughs> But I imagine because it says he reprimanded him. So in other words, he came at him as if he was doing something wrong, saying something wrong, talking wrong. He couldn't possibly have this. He, he got it. He must got, Jesus must have his signals twisted. Him and God got to, got to end, their connection ain't good. Jesus, are you sure that don't make sense? How are you going to be my savior if you die? Think about that. What are you going to save me from if you die? How can a bodyguard be your bodyguard if your bodyguard is standing behind you? How can your protection be your protection and they're hiding behind you? Something don't make sense. Something doesn't add up. So the scripture says that Peter says, wait a minute. Hush. You, 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 you can't die. How are you going to die? On us, we need you. We can't be without you. The text reminds us there are three different occasions in Mark where Jesus is trying to have this conversation. You know, Jesus has tried to have some conversations with us multiple times, and we don't listen either. In chapter 8, verse 31, in chapter 9, Verse 31 in chapter 10, verse 33, three different occasions while Jesus is performing miracles and working and walking with these disciples. He said, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. Don't worry. I'll be back and everything will be good. They didn't listen. So we continue to go on. He said, hey, 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 by the way, they're going to take me out, but I'll be back. And everything will be good. They didn't listen. So this time, he's like, yay, listen, get this. I have to go because there is going to be a time that I will be rejected 
They won't want me here. They won't want the gospel. They won't want the truth. The teachers are going to turn against me. The elders are going to turn against me. Everybody, the leaders, the priests, everybody's going to turn against me. And I must go to carry out something that is going to save you. I die to save you. Then he goes. He checks Peter. He doesn't blame Peter for his outburst. Although I think Jesus would be well in his right when Peter told him to hush. He said, no, you hush, Peter. I am Jesus. He ain't had to do that. But what he recognized in Peter was something that did not come from him. So he called it for what it was. And he said, get away from me, Satan. Well, why would he call it Satan? Well, well, because the spirit of fear, come on, Bible readers, somebody finish me out. The spirit of fear. Anybody? Where does, this, where does the spirit of fear come from? It comes from the enemy. But it is not from God because God is a source of power and a sound mind. See, the spirit of fear is not from us. The fear, the doubt towards Jesus comes from no place other than the enemy. So, so Jesus calls it exactly for what it is. He says, wait a second. Stop right there. The fact remains, you are not looking at this situation through your spiritual eyes. You are looking through it from your worldly eyes, from your fleshly eyes, through your human eyes. You are not thinking about what you know, who you know, who you believe in, and your faith. You are responding to your fear and your flesh. Do you realize that there are many things, even today, that you and I constantly respond to the fear of our flesh. We can't let go of the things that are tangible to us for a God that we can't touch. See, it was necessary for Jesus to do this. It was necessary for Jesus to end his tenure in the flesh so that we could be spiritually made home. So here we go. We continue to walk. There's continued doubt about his death. See, Peter wanted the glory of following, but he did not want the persecution. But sometimes things have to die in order for other things to live. Things have to come to a halt for other things to start. See, I think sometimes we get spoiled in all of our blessings and we think that this Christian walk is like a paved road of wealth and ease. But it often involves hard work, persecution, deprivation, and deep suffering. This Christian walk often takes twists and turns. See, our pathways, we ask him, to make straight for us. But the roads without him can be confusing. 
How many of you have set off on a journey to do right, to make right decisions, to not give in to whatever the emotion of the moment is? And before you can say, I won't, something comes along and you're already into what you said you won't do. It was necessary. See, we were broken. We were flawed. We were just people with only so much internal strength. I'm a strong guy. I can carry some pretty heavy weight. I can lift all kinds of things. I can do handiwork and break the stuff that I'm trying to put together. I can hammer stuff into the floor, go through the concrete, hit the electrical, send the whole unit out. I can do that. I can tighten a screw and strip it in the same turn. These are not made up stories, these are real. <laughs> but it comes to a point that even in our strength, it becomes our weakness. Because the reason that I'm desperately turning the screws so hard is because for some reason it won't turn, it's stubborn, I can't move it, so I go to this place of maximizing my internal strength until I experience muscle failure. All of your strength can turn into complete failure. So Peter, saying, Jesus, you're tripping, you can't go nowhere, what are you doing? See, Jesus knew and he understood and he was trying to teach us then as he's trying to teach us now. See, we've got to focus on the good that God can bring out of any situation by focusing on the resurrection and not the crucifixion. In other words, the resurrection is the comeback. The resurrection is the solution. Oh, the crucifixion, the crucifixion is awful. What you're dealing with is awful. What you're dealing with is painful. What you're dealing with, it, it, it is the absolute worst, and it's maximizing everything that you can think of that's awful. But guess what? That will not keep you down, and it didn't keep Jesus down. See, Jesus had to. It was part of it. Because if he can bear all of that, but come back. See, we couldn't declare victory unless we saw him. When? Oh, man. I'm trying to talk to some Cleveland Cavalier fans. We down 3-1 in 2016. NBA Finals. It's over with. Everything is over. Every, no one's ever come back from 3-1 down. I got your attention now. I started talking basketball. You think this is a LeBron James mission? It ain't. I just wanted to make sure you're paying attention. When you are down and out, which, can I tell you something, you will be in your life. You will find yourself down and out physically, emotionally, mentally, and shall I dare say, spiritually. 
connected to God, feeling like I can't hear a word from him. Talking to him every day. Now I can't even find the words to pray. There will be times that you will feel like everything is up against you and you cannot sustain. But we have to understand that Jesus was carrying out the ultimate plan. He was carrying out the ultimate plan that ultimately would be in his resurrection, the victor overall. So, Jesus wanted us to know and he wanted Peter, he wanted the disciples to know. In order to even experience the freedom that you want, he has to go through this. The very victory that you want, the freedom from all of the things that hold you back, all the, all the things that are just bogging you down, blocking your view, sucking all of your energy, the very things in order to get the freedom that we seek, he had to go through this. What was that risk, you say? Why? Anybody ever thought that? Why, though? Like, I, I get it. He loves me. But does love have limits? You can, I mean, you could. Does your love have limits? Let me help you. Yes. <laughs> I know you sit next to your spouse like, I can't answer that. You sit next to your kids. You can't answer. Yes, you can. Love has limits. We don't want them to, but you got to understand the people that you love most will take you to your, I mean, your last nerve. <laughs> I mean, your absolute last. See, the limitation of our love, God shows us the kind of love that is so much different than what we're humanly capable of. He's showing us a love that like, we can't even comprehend. Because the outcome he knows is the resurrection. So the, on one hand, it's like, how could God do this to his son? How could he allow this? Have you ever felt like this? How can God allow this? You know, the, the, the question, why does, why, does, why does bad things happen to good people? You wrestled with that before, right? I know I have. And, and Jesus responds to this. Jesus is saying to Peter, the reason that this is necessary, because all the people who are against me, all of those who don't believe in me, are going to be busy doing what they do. You're trying to figure out why Bad things happen to good people because there's bad people in the world doing things that inflict this thing upside down. You're trying to figure out how did we get to certain places? Well, because a lot of decisions were made by people. When sin is introduced in the world, all bets are off. That's what God was trying to protect us from, from the beginning. Listen to what I say. Obey what I'm saying, and we can keep this thing going in a direction that you won't have to deal with and be infiltrated by the sins of the world 
you have no idea how bad it can get. I told you guys many stories about how I used to pick my, my choices based on the fact I knew what the consequences were. See, sin doesn't work like that, y'all. Because you don't know what door you're opening. You don't know what access you're allowing. So when you start to put certain things in your mind, in your ears, and you, you, you have to recognize you don't really know the impact of those things. You, you think you know, but you have no idea the gateway and, 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 and the deceptiveness of how Satan uses those images and uses those sounds and uses those things to, to take over. Jesus says, Peter, no, Satan, get out of my way. Because who's talking is not my disciple. See, you got to understand, when you have those moments, you got to recognize them for what they are. So when you're saying something or you're going to place, you got to say, wait a second. Satan, get out of here with this. No, 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 I am a child of the king. I'm a child of God. Because I'm a child of God, I am protected, I am safe, I am loved. Satan, you're not going to make me feel like I'm this big, that I'm invisible, that I'm broken beyond repair. Step behind me. Get out of my way. That's how you got to learn to talk when the enemy is working on you. When the enemy is constantly telling you what you can't do. I'm sorry, can't do, in case you missed it. The enemy constantly is telling you what you cannot do, what you're not strong enough for. The enemy is constantly in your ear, and here we go. Jesus saying, look, the risk is far too great. The, the risk is so great that I need you to understand what will be lost if I don't do this. He continues in Mark 8:34, and he says this. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said this. If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? See, this is a concept that Jesus is trying to make a connection with the disciples. And, it's, and it has to be challenging for them. And I would imagine because of all of our stuff, it's even harder for us. If you're going to follow Jesus, you got to be willing to give it all up. You got to be willing to lay it all down. You got to be willing to say, you know what, what's most important is that I follow and I obey. Even in the midst of the greatest challenge. Peter, I have to imagine, was thinking like, it's hard enough to follow you while you're right here with me. So now you're going to leave and I'm supposed to still hold it and keep it all together <laughs> without you? 
See, Jesus gives this example of being able to let go of your own things. There's, there's a song you may or may not know it. Um, it's not a church song, but it's okay if you still know it. And the song is called Bag Lady by Erica Badu. And in that song, she says, Bag Lady, you, you're going to hurt your back. Dragging all those bags like that. I guess nobody ever told you that all you must hold on to is you. See, what the illustration here is, in order for you to truly get to your destination, you have to be willing to let go of the things that are your primary possession. How are you going to reach out with open arms to Jesus if you dragging along all of the stuff that is most important to you? How can you do that? How? How can you run into the arms of Jesus if you're dragging along all of your past and all of your possessions? See, what Jesus is telling us here, what he, what he is telling us, not in Erica Badu's song, but in the text, what he's telling us here is that you have got to allow yourself to be all in because you have to lose in order to gain. You have to let go in order to grab on. You have to change the way that you're going about it and thinking about things. You I know that it hurts. I know you worked hard for it. I know you went after it. I know it took years and years and years to get to that place. But unless you are willing to allow yourself to let go, you're not going to gain what it is that he has for you. Jesus says, I'm here. Peter, the very first thing you need to understand about what's happening. See, I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version. He's saying, Peter, I need you to understand. The part of this that you need to know up front is that we are about to experience the worst of the worst. You're about to see people turn on me. You're going to see people throw stuff at me, spit on me, beat me down. You're about to see it, and I'm trying to tell you ahead of time, before you experience any of the chaos that is going to come, it's going to be okay because I will be victorious over that. I will be back. I will win. I know how it's going to look. I know how it's going to feel. I know how much it's going to hurt you. I know how many tears you're going to cry. I know how much blood is going to be shed. I know how broken you're going to feel. But guess what? It is going to be okay. I'm telling you ahead of time. It's going to be fine. I am here now. They think they're winning. They think, but I am going to go and I will be back and I will be in the house of the Lord. And if you follow me, so will you.
If this message challenged you and moved you forward, personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our mission here at the table, head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information.